I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. is the Toffee Web Podcast. Throw in. Short from McNeil for Tarkovsky. Just a gone again. Into the box. Little fall for Decore. Oh, Abdullah Decore! What a hit! What a goal! It's the goal! Is that the survival goal? Gunnison Park erupts to Corey. Batters it home. Everton, 69 years of top flight football is set to continue. Relief all around Gunnison. Look at these scenes. Look at this hit from Decore. He will not strike one better. Euphoria around Goodison. Well, they can sense it now, the Evertonians. Almost there. Still, we play on. We've played over the 10 now. They've done it! Everton are playing Premier League football again next season. There's a glory in the end product, but there's no glory in these games. Trust me, these are awful games. You know, and I know the fans will kind of celebrate, but we shouldn't be celebrating this. We're Everton Football Club. That's what I've learned. Now, equally, we're not at the top. 
there's a lot of work to go to get back up there. But we shouldn't be celebrating too much with this. We've got to export from, expect more from ourselves. On the other hand, keep it level where we know where we are. Now, I think we're better off than what we've shown this season. But there's a lot of work to be done before we start using the big club mentality and the big club tag and the big club performances. There's a lot of work to be done until we get to there. But equally, it's a great day for the fans and they deserve it. The fans have been terrific since I came in. I've said it every time that I've played. Ins and outs, away, home, all the rest of it, they have been terrific. Hello Blues and welcome to the Toffee Web podcast where we can finally take a breath and relax. This seemingly endless and torturous season is over, Everton are safe and the grand old lady will not have the ignominy of hosting football in the second tier for her final full season. As it turned out the Toffees needed to beat Bournemouth and beat them they did but only just and they needed to hold out for 43 nerve shredding minutes before 40,000 Evertonians inside the ground and hundreds of thousands elsewhere no doubt could collectively exhale. Um, here with Andy Howard, Adam McCulloch, Paul Trail, Al Bretland. Uh, Paul, you were back where you and I were a little over a year ago after the Palace game at the Denby Castle, which looked absolutely rammed uh, with joy, joyous patrons after the match. Um, how are you doing today? How are you feeling in general after what has been a pretty stressful few weeks? Yeah, fine, thank you. It's uh, it's a relief. I think like. Uh... If I go back to that Palace game and the day after that, I remember just feeling it's like really, really made up and you could just, yeah, we've done it. And it's just like to be here again, much more nerve wracking this time. And uh, Andy and I were just having a little chat beforehand. It was just saying, it's been such an interesting season, hasn't it? It's been like for, for all the wrong reasons. Right? Been, there's been quite a few highs, a lot of depressing lows, but it's been, yeah, non stop, has it? There's been barely a dull moment. So I'm just kind of. Nice to be able to take a breath now, and um, but you know, I don't know how long we can sort of uh, relax until like the the madness of the sort of summer starts because there's going to be a heck of a lot going on. I'm not sure we'll get into that a little bit, a little bit later on, but um, yeah, just very relieved, very relieved to to have got it done. It was a uh, great fun in the Denby in the Denby Castle uh, last night. Um, I bet. You know, last last time, yeah, last time it was pretty busy, wasn't it? But yeah. yesterday was just absolutely ridiculous. I had a quick chat with um with Matt actually from the Blue Room. I was just like. You, you know, they sponsor you guys. This is this is down to you guys. He goes, I think we've created a monster. They'll, they probably don't want, want us to come here anymore. <laughs> I guess it's just too busy for them. And it was so yeah. busy. So uh, just pretty funny. So good good on them guys for that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, really good, really good night last night. And uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I just want to be able to switch off from Everton for at least a week or two. But, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I don't think the noise is going to stop rumbling on, is it really? It's going to be a lot going on this summer. It's huge summer ahead. But uh yeah, let's just try and enjoy for for the week or so. And like you say, good to have um, definitely good to confirm that the last uh, next, you know, last full season at Goodison Park won't be in the championship. And you know, and too, too important a record for Everton to just be to be to be given up and uh, thrown away that long proud history we got. Um, it's uh, you know, proud that it's, that it's going to be that it's going to be maintained for longer. Yeah, El, you were lucky enough to be there as well. Uh, captured on the TV cameras once again. How how are you Thanks. feeling now? Yeah, just just massive relief. But it, it, I've never I've never seen County Road and Goodison Road so packed, and yeah. I've never heard the Gladys Street and Goodison so loud. Um, it was it was an it was a nervy game, and so there wasn't much thinking when it was nil nil. 
But after everything scored, when when the fans started singing again, I noticed at least three people flinch at the decibels in their ears. It it was it was just astounding, and it it did it did it sort of you could feel the sensation. It was just mm. that loud of it was all that relief and that passion just coming to the surface of we're finally ahead. Um, <laughs> so it was it was just a very very long day. I uh, couldn't believe that the 10 minutes that were added on. Uh, but it was, it was just that culminating over the line again. And I know we'll go into it later, but it did have a very different feel to last year. It, yeah. it was more it was more nervy. And I think it was more euphoric immediately after the goal. But then at full time, it was there was a definite different atmosphere, which was very interesting and very telling. Um, but yeah, overall, it was... It's just great that Goodison is is going to be playing the you know the final season in the top flight because I think that would have been you know it would have been really hurtful to, for for Goodison to have to to be to be hosting the likes of Rotherham and Plymouth when you know it's it's a ground that's always welcomed you know Manchester United Arsenal Chelsea and you know that's how it should be for the last farewell season. Well, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm still coming to terms with it. I, I woke up this morning and still couldn't really quite believe that we were safe. Had to kind of pinch myself. Um, that might have been the evening beers, but it was it it didn't really feel very real. And I completely agree, Ellie. It was a, it was a strange post match experience. It was strange watching it through the uh, through the TV. So I can I can only imagine in the ground. Um, I had a strange experience just just to sort of you know give you my own uh, viewpoint of it. I um, I was I was isolating this weekend just to sort of as a bit of a throwback to um, three years ago. Um, my partner Jen's got COVID, so I was locked up pretty much home alone, watching it on the TV, and just ne- ne- never felt so alone and yet so connected to what was happening. It was uh, it was treacherous and. I think, as you say, El, that that moment after the goal was great. That was a release that I think we all felt. The the as soon as that ball left Decore's foot, it was like all the pent up aggression of this season was just let out in one beautiful moment. And then, in that typical Evertonian fashion, straight away you went, "Oh God, there's there's still lots of game left." And that that feeling, and particularly as I'm sure we'll go into further, that final 10 minutes, I I don't know. I don't really know how I'm still here. And maybe that's because I've just started to control the symptoms of the coronavirus or, or, <laughs> or it could be, uh, or it could be the PTSD of, <laughs> of this season because that, that 10 minutes was horrific. It was awful. Mm. And maybe that played a, a part, um, in, in that aftermatch reaction, I, I think a lot of it is to do with the bigger picture, and we can certainly compare it to last season. Um, but I think I think no one really summed it up better than Sean Dyche. We shouldn't be celebrating this. We're Everton Football Club. I think after that that joyous release, that relief that came with the goal, and obviously knowing that we would be safe, I think very quickly people's minds turned to. Hold on a minute. This isn't another picture for the frame at Finch Farm. This isn't another moment to to savor. This is another warning from history that we cannot cannot repeat again. So, 
I'm obviously overjoyed, but um, as you say, Paul, I'm also really, really glad of Everton not completely occupying my thoughts for the next, yeah, week or so. But who knows? I'm sure. I'm sure something else will come out and uh, and do that for me as well. But for now, yeah, let's uh, let's not bask, but let's let's breathe. I mean, it was the longest week. It was the longest day. Um, I don't remember the 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 build up to an Everton game on the day being. I know it was a four thirty kickoff, so it was a little bit later than usual anyway. But it just seemed just where did the time come from in those that those days and hours and and but the 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 pure theatre that it produced. I mean, I know I was watching through the television, so they try and make it a little bit more theatrical with close-ups of fans' faces and nails biting and then showing you a random West Ham chance that you assume is going to be a goal. And it was just a a nothing shot from the edge of the box. I mean, (laughs) ridiculous. Um, But um, it, 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 it produced an afternoon of stuff you can't really write and you can't, you can't that you can't ever get close to sport and especially football when it's like that. And I know we can react and look to look at it so fondly because we were on the right side of it. But um, I don't think that. I mean, I, maybe I'm biased. I don't think that that thing we saw we all saw through different prisms on uh, on Sunday. It doesn't feel like that can happen anywhere else. In a way, it, 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 that ground, that scenario. Those fans, it felt, it felt well. I don't know. I think special was one word. I, I, it, it is special. It didn't feel it at the time. It felt horrendous. It felt fraught. It felt oh, stressful, horrible. But it was special. Um, and whatever it is about us on the final day, um, we just keep coming up with these moments. At Goodison, it always seems to be at Goodison, um, and yet last year wasn't quite the final day. But you can add last year to the list of ninety four and ninety eight as well. Um, and and it is it it's such a special thing, which I don't. I think I'm like Adam. I don't think I've really come to terms with it yet because I felt quite emotional last year, and I I, I felt kind of like the, it kind of poured out of me last year. Where this year I kind of I still don't quite know how to feel about it all yet. Um, I did uh, the most emotional I've actually been is 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 today. So the Monday, listening back to the five live commentary, which I obviously hadn't heard at the time because I was watching Sky, and what they were saying about the people around them, um, people actually crying straight away when Decore scored with just relief, um, and that made me feel quite emotional, really, um, and 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 hearing it. Like, because when you hear it on the telly, it's kind of a bit different than hearing it on the radio somehow. Um, and God knows what it was like in there. I mean, um, but yeah, a, a, another special moment. Um, I know we're not celebrating it as much as kind of we did last year because of all the reasons we've already outlined all season. But um, one of the first people I phoned was my dad. And I just asked him the simple question, remind me why I was signed up to a lifetime of this. <laughs> And he can't answer that. 
Yeah. I, I said in the intro that it's time to relax, but to be honest, I think my body has established such muscle memory of being anxious over this club for the past few weeks that I still ha I still have a bit of a knot in my stomach and it's no, there's no reason for it, you know, even though it's all over. You know, one of our recently, recent weekly questions was, which is the most nervous that you've, you know, been before a game? And, you know, I'm fairly sure that whatever answer <laughs> we gave, and mine was the Newcastle home game, that would have changed to yesterday because I've never felt, I don't think I've ever felt so nervous about anything in my life. You know, I, uh, I was fortunate enough on this occasion to be eight hours behind. So I slept through most of the buildup, but the dog did wake me up around two and a half hours before kickoff. And I was, so I had to kill those um, by trying to keep my mind off it. Uh, I usually, I usually scroll up my Twitter feed first thing and then sort of read that in chronicle order, chronological order, but I, I couldn't face it yesterday. And uh, the, I think one of the worst parts about yesterday was, I, you know, obviously the same for Sky over there, but over here, the NBC crew were at Goodison as well. So they'd made everything about their pre-match coverage was rooted at Goodison Park. And I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't face it. I couldn't turn it on because the implications of it uh, were just, were just so massive. So I, I just put on a Netflix comedy special and just tried to keep my mind off it and, and lift my spirits that way. I mean, in general, I was a bag of nerves in the immediate aftermath of the Newcastle-Leicester game last Monday. Um, and I was pretty calm throughout the week because I was you know, able to concentrate on work and that kind of thing. But Friday night, and I think as I put on Twitter, the nerves just hit me full force. You know, I think regular listeners will know that as a group on this podcast, you know, we've been fairly confident all the way along that, that we'd be okay. Even you know, when it came down to the final do-or-die game, I think I, mean, I had faith that we, that we could do it, that we would do it. But you can't help having doubts creeping in when you're dealing with a one-off fixture against an unpredictable opponent who'd already done us over twice <laughs> convincingly in November, and with you know with a team that's seriously hobbled by not having a proper striker or any fit fullbacks. I mean, it's just it's too much of a lottery really to have a great deal of confidence about it. But um, you know, t turning to the game itself, I mean, we speculated on the on the last podcast that Deitch might go with three at the back if Mikalenko wasn't fit. I mean, that was my preferred lineup. Uh, he went for it. Uh, Andy, the manager, was vindicated, really, wasn't he? Because, in truth, we didn't give Bournemouth much of a sniff until they started going direct to Kiefer Moore late on. Yeah, it worked. And, I, I mean, I, I'm glad he did it. Um, I, I think it might have been a real fudge if he tried to find two fullbacks from somewhere. Um, well, we, yeah, for fullbacks in a flat four anyway. Um, and I'm pleased for him. I'm really pleased for Sean Deitch because... Um, He's had to make some pretty big decisions, which he knows affects not you know not only him and his players now, but he's making decisions that are affecting things in a decade's time potentially. You know, um, it, it's that big. The job was that big to try and keep us in that league, and he had to make he had to do things on the fly, quite ad hoc, which I don't get. It really is his style, um, and he's made some big decisions, and that was another one. You know, and I, but I think to go with the the three at the back and to try and make wing backs work, um, maybe he was backed into a corner with it. But I'm I'm so pleased he made that decision and it worked because I suppose if we hadn't have won the game, there might have always been those questions of why didn't he do this, why didn't he do that, um, and I was really pleased with him. I'm really pleased for him, and I know that he's he's got doubters. Um, I'm not one of them. Um, but I was looking through, I was looking through, I know this is a bit more general than just his team selection yesterday, but I was looking through the games we've lost under Sean Dyche. Let me just read them. 
We lost at Liverpool. We lost Villa, Arsenal, United, Fulham, Newcastle and Man City. I mean, with the maybe exception of the Fulham match, that's not a bad return in terms of defeat. The, The draws we all know about, the wins we all know about. We said he had to win games 1-0 if he was going to win them. Well, he's won four of them. And I remember one tweet. I don't know who it was by. I don't know who. I spotted it around um, just after the transfer window closed in January. And it said, if Sean Dyche keeps us up with this lot, this was after we hadn't signed anybody, obviously. If he keeps them up with that squad, he deserves a statue outside the new stadium. Now, I'm not going to go that far, but it always sticks in my mind of like, wow, that does probably sum up what a job this guy's got to try and keep us there. And bottom line, he's done it. And I thought yesterday he got it bang on. Um, and I'm sure we'll go into what he said afterwards as well, which I thought was really, really refreshing. And actually we saw a different side of him, didn't we? When it kind of all became clear that we were up and he could talk a little bit more kind of uh, freely about what was going on. But um, yeah, please for him. And I, and I actually think if we had to go to that system next year at times with better personnel, more suited personnel, it could work. Yeah, I think big credit as well to some of the players who made that system work, who that was an unfamiliar, not only an unfamiliar system, but in in the case of James Garner, a completely unfamiliar position. Um, I'm sure we'll dig into his performance a little bit more, but I think you compared him to Arteta L and he could be the new... Mikel Arteta and the new Tony Hibbert in one player, which um, is a an incredible <laughs> hybrid, uh, but no one dare dream of. But he was <laughs> he was excellent. He was absolutely excellent, and he made he made that that position really work in a way that it it, it really could have backfired. It was it was a, a massive call from Sean Dyche, but I think a lot of credit has to go to to those players and also the more experienced players, the likes of Tarkovsky, the likes of Cody the likes of Garner Gay, who put in a really good performance as well, who made it seem pretty seamless and made it seem as though it was a system that we've been used to, which, okay, we have started to experiment with. And obviously some of those players will have played it under other sides or it was something that Lampard tried at times. But to do it in that crunch game and to do it without arguably the real linchpin of that kind of system which is a front man an outlet to do it and get a goal and get the win is massive I think I think I think you're right Andy I think he was he was kind of backed into it because I don't know beyond playing Andy Lonergan at left back I don't really know how else he would have made the usual system work um and and I, I think I said this before the game as well but what made it an even bigger gamble was how sparse our bench was. There wasn't really a way to change it in the middle of a game. So he really had rolled the dice and that was that. I think beyond throwing on the likes of Michael Keane or potentially Neil Mopé as a as a second striker, that was that was it, wasn't it really? So it really did pay off and and I think on the whole it was a system that that suited us. So yeah, it 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 does it does give us options for the future although I guess the elephant in the room is that two out of those three centre backs might not be with us come next season. Um, but it it could it could be something to work for the future. But boy, I'm I'm glad it worked when it really counted. 
I was a bit concerned when I, well, very concerned actually when I saw the lineup. Um, <clears throat> uh, just because we, we, he hasn't started with three at the back. I don't think has he ever started with three at the back. Because he can't. He hasn't many times, has he? If at all, certainly not ever. And he's he's, he's moved into that system in a, in a couple of games recently. But that's been down to necessity more so than anything else. I think maybe a city was trying to kind of to protect the goal difference a little bit, perhaps. But yeah, when I saw the, when I saw that, I thought, well, okay, well, Mikel Enkers off it. Nearly everyone I spoke to before the game seemed to want us to go with three at the back, and I was really sort of like, "No, I'm not sure it can work. I'm not sure that the players, you know, we're not not sure the players are familiar enough with it to to do it." But um, great to be wrong, <laughs> like so. It's really pleased to, uh, yeah, that, that that it worked out, that it worked out, and it paid off. Pleased with Connor Cody as well. Like he's been out with the team for quite a long time, and he's, you know, he's he's a good professional. Never been his biggest fan really as a as as a footballer, but. Fair play, he, you know, been out with the team, came in and did a really, really good job. That's that's his bread and butter, I suppose, the centre of a back three, isn't it? You know, um, uh, Connor and good on him, he did really, really well. Yavi, brilliant. Uh, James Tarkovsky, what a season he's had. He's been a really, really good, really, really good signing for us. And sure, you, you, you'll have heard it in like um, <clears throat> a lot of um, Sean Dyche's uh, pre-match press conferences, after after match interviews, and that like uses that word mentality, and he's done a pretty good job of sort of like drumming that into the players. He must have been on and on in them about this, about like, you know, you, you take things on, you do it and exemplify well at Wolves. He was on about players just, you know, uh, Michael Keane having to go up front, Keane going to right back, all sorts of different positions and players just taking it on and just not complaining and get on with the job. So it's good on the players for, you know, for um, for listening and sticking at it and, and doing what they've had to do. James Garner, incredible. Uh, what what a footballer he is. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's a, how much was he? Eight million? Something like that. I mean, well, it looks like an absolute snap. He's, he's an incredible footballer. Him, he's he's going to be a really, really important player for us. I know, Al, you've spoken about that a few times. He's he's going to be a really, really good player. And to to show that adaptability to play at right back like that, and same cramping up at the end, he could barely. I thought he's going to have to come off, and he just, you know, good on him. He just he just stuck at it and carried on. And um, a bit more of a yeah, it's a bit more about this group, I think, than than maybe we thought. He, Perhaps underachieved a little bit, but blimey, does that need some help? That team, that squad, it's, it, it is in balance, as Sean keeps saying. It certainly needs some investment, and um, yeah, it's going to be a massive summer to see if they can get it. But uh, good on them all, the managers, the players, for sort of uh, for really pulling through yesterday because uh, uh, they're really, really up against it um, for a number of reasons. So yeah, good on them for for for, for getting the job done. Yeah, I, I think the, the game against Bournemouth just further emphasised just how vital that focal point is. You know, if you don't have it, it just doesn't function. And that's where, at half-time, when I heard about the Leicester score, that's when I was really worried because I, I genuinely thought, where is the goal going to come from? Because, you know, we've signed Dwight McNeil to get the ball, to beat the right-back and with the crossing, and he was doing that. But the players on the pitch weren't making those runs, which we've said a lot. So it was, it was, it was a worrying... I think the the you know I, I think since the core sending off at Tottenham, Sean Dyche has baffled me with a lot of his decisions. And again, it was I think this one against Bournemouth was probably the team that I actually agreed with from from the tools he had. Um, and as as we said, I mean I I think I'm like founder of the James Garner fan club. Like <laughs> I absolutely rave about him, and I think it's it just it's because we haven't had players who have a football brain. And he does. I remember one moment in the game, he was, you know, he the ball came over to him and, you know, 20 out of 20 right-backs in the Premier League would have just hoofed it. But he got the ball, shifted it, beat the man, 
and played a nice diagonal to Damari Graham. He won a free kick high up the pitch. And it's just having that composure and that nous. And I think he is a game changer for us. I've 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 said it. I think this summer the plan needs to be James Garner's going to be the main man in the middle. What do we need to build around him in terms of do we need a number 10? Do we need a sitting midfielder? You know, how can we get the best? Because I think James Garner, especially his age, Everton have properly suffered because we haven't had relationships and partnerships on the pitch. We haven't had that consistency. And a player of James Garner's ability, I think that's where we need to really plan now. You know, um, long-term, you know, Nathan Patterson is going to be the right back. Um, you know, you've got Tarkovsky, who's probably the closest we've had to to Jack Yelka, I, I think, in terms of just his consistency, his ability to tackle, uh, his, you know, diagonal balls, his ability on the ball. So I think under Sean Dyche going forward, that's what we need to do. We need to get that level of consistency. But what what I realised when Kiefer Moore came on for Bournemouth is that it's not about getting a quality striker as such. It was it was in the in the transfer window rather than signing Neil Morpay. It was about signing a player who had the same attributes as Calvert Lewin, and I, I think that's really where we went wrong this season. And I would on I would honestly say Everton with a fit centre forward who can do that job. Sneaks in the top ten. That that's honestly how much I think the difference is and and the fine margins because you know the the games we've drawn we've had chances but they haven't fell to the right player or you know we haven't been able to get a consistency to our, our attacks and so I think for all the the noise around the football club that Calvert Lewin's um, injury and the inability to find a proper replacement for him is what knackered the whole season because I think we do have some good, really good footballers. And I think the difference compared to other years is on something I noticed in the Bournemouth game. They were all, you know, committed to the cause. They were giving it everything. You know, 100th minute, Idrissa Garnagay was still sliding in and putting balls out. You know, Decore, you know, just a lot of them. They, they're really committed. And I think Everton teams in the past maybe haven't been that committed and you know, we we've accused some players of maybe lacking the fight, but I think that's something that we've we've got by the bucket load now. And I, I do, I think it was just it showed it again that that lack of focal point and that player to hold the ball up, it it just makes the team dysfunctional. And I I I think really if you whatever ten players you have, unless you're Man City, I think anyone would struggle in that situation. Yeah, I think the the players deserve an enormous amount of credit. We've obviously had our issues with some of them over the season, and then obviously as a as a group, particularly under Frank Lampard, I think we've had plenty of plenty of issues with them. But I think that this season has has shown that you know when things when you have major problems like the lack of a focal point striker, as L you were saying, which is so important, or if you have a managerial situation where uh, the players clearly aren't fully on board. Um, I don't know if anyone's read the um, the article by Greg O'Keefe and Paddy Boylan in the Athletic, but there's there, there's hints there as to as to some of the big problems that that were clearly affecting the squad as a whole. And, and when you have when you have issues like that, it's very hard, particularly in a team game, obviously to to come together and and perform effectively as a group and when things start going wrong they tend to start going wrong to that you know they, they affect you as a collective as well so I'm not surprised that you know we've we've had these matches where 
they appear to have given up where I just think they've they've just they've lost their way. And I think that the match at West Ham was a classic example of that where you compare that to some of these more recent matches under Sean Dyche and it's a completely different team. It's a con- completely different mentality. Um, and so fair play to, for, for Dyche on that. I mean, as, as I think we've alluded to, We've had some issues with 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 Sean Dyche, and I think that my personal issues were were in those games where we dropped crucial points that could have seen us over the line before the final day. I'm talking specifically about the time that uh, he took to took to bring um, Yerry Mina in, where I think he could have made uh, a massive difference in games, particularly at Nottingham Forest and Leicester. I think the you know the defensive issues that we had in those games, in particular matches that had we gone down, I think we look back on. I thought those were the games where we needed to uh, where we needed to pick up maximum points. But I mean, overall, I mean, I'd like to um, I'd like to actually deal with with Sean Deitch fully in a, in a separate podcast. But I, th- you I don't think you can you can really fault him for the fact for for the the situation that he came into, how dire it felt in those final days of Lampard. I think that we can all agree that the club was heading down, and. Um, you know, by hook or by crook, Sean Dyche has, um, has kept us up. Uh, but just getting back to uh, to the game, I think, El, you were talking about how uh, at halftime things really felt, um, felt... We felt like we really were on the precipice, given that it was hard to see where a goal was going to come from. I think we all felt that way. Uh, it was it was sort of unnerving, particularly if you're watching it on, on, on TV where they're showing the live table and all of a sudden Everton are back below that, you know, that dreaded, that dreaded dotted line. Um, and then all of a sudden, up pops uh, Abdullah Dukure. I think we can all agree that Damari Gray should <laughs> should have put us ahead a few minutes earlier uh, with uh, with uh, with an incident that I think underlines how the, the difference between a, a, a true natural goal scorer and uh, and one who is not. But uh, no uh, arguments about uh, the emphatic nature of Abdullah Dukure's goal, uh, Paul. <laughs> describe describe how you felt as that goal goes in. Well, it's just that moment of, uh, you know, just the second it's, it, he hits it and you, it's just that moment of just sort of like time seems to stop altogether just for like, a, you know, for like a, for like a moment. And um, yeah, that's so hard. You just, you just on well yet. And then next thing, it's just like, <gasps> it's in the back of the net. <laughs> Everyone just goes mad. You know I mean? It was just a... Uh, Hard to put into words for me. I think it was just, um, you know, bedlam really when when that went in. It was just because it felt like you needed something like that, or we needed a penalty or something. You know what I mean? So it, it didn't feel like we really. It felt you you worried about where the goal was going to come from, as I kind of said earlier. So with Demario going up front, he did his best. He, you know, he, he, he tried hard. You know, he, he tried hard. Missed that good chance, but he, you know, he, he did his best up there. Um, but he just didn't feel there was, you know, obviously Dominic not being available. But it was so so apparent what the you know, what, what we didn't have up there. So it needed something like that. And when that when that flew in, it was just uh, it was just so so loud. I remember like uh, and when the team came out at the start of the game, I remember it was like wow, what an atmosphere this. I think probably as loud as I can remember saying good even good. <laughs> How many times have you said that? By the way, <laughs> it's been so many times when uh, you know it's just like uh, the atmosphere is blowing you away. But it just made me think, and that's just staying in the league. Imagine if we actually won the league or something. Imagine what the cloud would be like. And yeah, we're not going to see that at Goodison Park, unfortunately. But you know, it's just um, 
yeah, it was just a real incredible atmosphere. So I remember that one in, and um, yeah, I remember like turning around to my good mate Stevie Hannes, and we just hugged each other, you know, for like the <laughs> day of life. I've got a habit of hugging people at games at the moment, and they're like, whether that be strangers or mates or whatever. People be worrying about me, but um, yeah, it was just, um, yeah, just euphoric, brilliant, amazing, uh, amazing moment, and uh, and then the realization that oh crap, we still got at least thirty minutes to go here. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it's going to be a long, long time to, to to hold on for. But uh, at that moment there and then, it was just like we've done it again, and it's just like you say, these final day day games uh, when we when we needed something and. Yeah, add that one to the collection of, of Barry Horn, of Gareth Farrelly. A mate, a mate, a red mate said to me after the game, so you, you're going to be building the, the Abdullah Dekori statue then. I was like, well, <laughs> put it alongside the Barry Horn and the Gareth Farrelly ones, I suppose. <laughs> so it happens on, uh, on the last day of the season for us. So, uh, yeah, incredible moment. Um, and, yeah, obviously, so chuffed that they got over the line after that. I don't know what it was like when you were there. On the telly, the goal, it was one of those that you could just see coming. It, about a, a split second before it happened, you could kind of see how it might happen. I don't know whether that's just incomplete, kind of rose-tinted after the event. But as it came off the defender, you thought, go on. Like the, the, it, you know, it wasn't completely out of the blue because he was moving on to the ball forwards. But, I mean, and it kind of went, the ball kind of went just, straight didn't it it was no deviation it was just pure um and I don't know you talk about the noise I feel as if I've got to talk about the personal noise I made when that went in I still I I couldn't I couldn't (laughs) I don't think I could recreate that noise if I had like a hundred goes it was very earthy um I I, I kind of yeah I let out two kind of guttural bellows of some kind um and and it kind of well, I suppose like all the rest of us, like the rest of you, I mean, I don't think it was overjoyed happiness when it hit the net. It was like a release valve. It was just a, a different feeling to those great goals we've scored in the past when it means something and you feel so happy that it's gone in. It was like a, it was just like a, I don't know, the the air in a balloon coming out. Um yeah, for for me, I could you, you could kind of see the ball, you could see it happening, which is which makes it all the better with a goal, I think. Yeah, in the stadium, I think because I was just so in my thoughts of where's the goal going to come from, because where I sit, that it was a, a guy who sits just in front of me who was getting the info from somebody who sits just by him about the Leicester game, so we knew by us, and it's incredible how. It buoys some people to get behind the team. Some people just want to shut it out. Some people even glare at you for like, why are you talking about Leicester right now? I can't deal with this. <laughs> so it's amazing all the different sort of personalities in the ground. Um, and it was just, it's only now that I've seen it back that it's so similar to the Gareth Farrelly goal. The Bournemouth defender actually does Duncan Ferguson's knockdown. And then mm-hmm. the Corey's step mm-hmm. into the ball is the same as Farrelly. And it's it's just like art, isn't it? The way it just mirrors the mirrors it. But when you said Andy about people crying, I was I was one of them, but I didn't even realise I was doing it until I it was the it was that emotion, it was just the ecstasy of we've got the goal. It was just seeing it was very similar for me to the Seamus Coleman goal against Leeds. Because I was so involved in my thoughts, I don't think I was actually paying attention 
to the to the ball, if that makes sense. I was just in the moment of we need a goal, we need a goal. And it was only when it hit that the guy next to me was grabbing my face. The guy to my left was hugging me. We were falling back into the row. It was just pure adulation. And then I remember, as you said, Andy, about like that release and it's like a you know a valve. I leaned forward on the seat in front and like you know gave it a bash. It was like pounding my chest a bit as well. And then it was only then when I got up again, it was like I had tears in my eyes and was just like soppy. Just it was just like that feeling of thank. God, we've got that goal that we're not sat here thinking, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, Leicester are winning and this is actually going to happen because, as you said, Paul, you know, we've done it again. And all I could think of it was, we've done it so many times, there might be a time when it doesn't happen. And it and it felt like that to me on, on Sunday because it was nil-nil and because Leicester had taken that advantage. Um, but it was, it was just absolute pandemonium. And then just people hugging each other but it, it was like you know like at like weddings or funerals when people give like real sincere hugs to their friends and family but it was between strangers but because you're Evertonians it was just proper hugs and proper feeling proper emotion and I mean that I'd say that when the goal went in the the half an hour until uh extra time flew by it flew by for me and again, I think it's because of all that feeling. And then it was the 10 minutes that really dragged. Um, and it was where I sit in the in the Gladys, just sort of between the goal and the and the uh, main stand halfway, halfway. And I just remember, as, you know, about four people around me had the time on their, on their phone, you know, the stoppage. And you're monitoring that. And I think Bournemouth had it down their left side. And, you know, we just kept tackling them for another throw, tackling for another throw. But when Kiefer Moore came on, all I could think of was Dion Dublin's header in 98. Because he is a man mountain and he uses his frame so well. And all game, I was confident. Yerimina and Tarkovsky were just heading everything that came. But when Kiefer Moore came on, he caused a real problem. And, you know, Bournemouth have got really, they were really tidy side. You know, you've got David Brooks, uh, who's really neat on the ball. And it only needed one quick one, too. And it's a goal, and that's the whole future of Everton Football Club hinging on it. Um, so Kiefer Moore coming on was petrifying, um, but I thought we defended resolutely, and it was just waiting for that time to go down. And sort of the more it went on, the more I just started to feel we're Everton Football Club. We don't do relegation. We don't do it. So you know, and it was just <laughs> getting it over that line. So it was just. So many emotions, but I I was one of those people that um I just couldn't hold back the the emotion of it really. But it, it was one of them where I didn't even realise I was doing it. Um, it was just yeah, just another crazy afternoon. I, I like the idea, by the way, of just uh, my own funeral. Everyone's just like cheering and crying <laughs> and hugging, go get it, um, <laughs> fucking get in, a relief, a relief, <laughs> finally. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, there's, it's, it's always that feeling of watching it on the TV. There's always that feeling like, oh, I wish I was there. But the sound, even from the TV screen and and it'd been the same all game and, and and you did kind of feel those moments as well where the air had turned, but even that was more of a sort of commentary team kind of reminding you that, oh, by the way, Leicester are winning. 
but but the noise from that, I, I think it's the um, commentary of Gary Neville where he's saying I can I can feel the gantry shaking, and it's it, it's the closest I've ever felt to being at Goodison when I'm not there. It was just resounding that noise. Um, it really is one of those goals. I, I, I kind of get what you mean, Andy. I kind of saw it happening in the same, and and maybe it is those iconic goals like Farrelly's, even like, like Rooney's against Arsenal, where it leaves a foot and you, you kind of already know what's happened before it happens. Um, what a goal. And I, I guess the irony is a very Frank Lampard goal from a man who was shunned by him. It's 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 the perfect Frank Lampard running on the edge of a box, hit it true, and the way that Decore has worked his way back into the fold and become really, really crucial in this running. Um, it w- w- We needed goals from somewhere. And yeah, as we mentioned, Damari Gray kind of does a disservice to the word heading to call that a header for that chance. But he he, he did try. He, he worked hard. He's, he's probably, I, I, I wrote this in my notes because, um, I think I mentioned before the pod, it, 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 there was so much of, of the game to take in. There were so many little moments. Um, I did have to kind of go back through it. One of my notes just says Yerry Mina, by the way, which I, I don't know. There's uh, <laughs> lots we could do with that. But that that moment um, where Idrissa Gay tackles um, tackles for, for the throw-in, I, f- I think in the 10th minute, I, I think I might have celebrated that more than the goal. I think that was a point where my neighbours will probably look at me a bit weird when I'm next walking down the street. Um, oh, the guy at number 30, I always thought he was a bit weird, but uh turns out he just screams at about six o'clock in the evening uh, on the dot. Um, but it was it was a really wonderful goal. Um, just a real moment to kind of sear on, into your brain, to just take away all that frustration of the year it doesn't it doesn't make everything better but as, as you say compared to the difference with that Dion Dublin goal on Sunday if that was Kiefer Moore then it's it's final jeopardy it's gone we we ran it that close it was one goal's difference if the Corre doesn't score or if someone else from Bournemouth does that's it and it's obviously a crime that we let it get to that point and I'm sure the post-mortem will be something we carry out at another stage and there'll be plenty of people under the spotlight, um, no less the board. But just to have that one big, big, big moment in a crazy roller coaster horror of a season, to have one moment where you can go, oh God, that that, that goal though, that goal was good. Um, and I, and I, will, I will add that. For, for me personally, that, that Adrissa Garner gay tackle in the 10th minute of stoppage time, knowing, knowing that we've we've done it i think um that that alone was was great but yeah i'm i'm still i'm still coming to terms with it there's still so much of a game that we probably won't get to talk about today the the weight of anana's pass to garner gay as he as he puts him through is sublime um james garner we could do a whole episode of we've not mentioned john pickford who again at the at the big moments delivers um Alex Awobi being Alex Awobi, uh, Dominic Solanke and John Pickford had a sort of rumble <laughs> in, 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 the, in the penalty area. Members, like, yeah, that was really odd. Um, and then some some wonderful uh, work from James Tarkovsky to get in, in the middle of them. It was 
it, it was a very exciting game, but one that I'm still I'm still processing and will probably still struggle to process for some time. But thank God we're picking it away as we are and not going, oh my God, we, we, we were one goal short of where we need to be. So, yeah, few. I, I, I've tailed off there. Uh, Lyndon, you, you saved me from that because I've just, uh, <laughs> no. yeah, I, I feel like James Garner at the end of the game. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's. I think we're all feeling that way. Is that, like you say, we're still we're still trying to process it. You know, the immediate sort of elation of it is out the way, and now you're trying to kind of just piece it all back together in your brain. I'm I'm, I'm glad that Al's able to say that those last sort of thirty odd minutes of normal time, regulation time, went in a, a blur for him because they dragged for me, particularly after Kiefer Moore came on, because you just felt that they could just be one moment where yeah. he gets a knockdown. And, you know, we've seen it time and time again this season, last season, where, you know, we just give up a cheap goal and we've put so much effort into defending it and, and sort of keeping it tight. And it just takes one moment. And all of a sudden, with Leicester, of course, <clears throat> by that point, 2-0 up. And obviously West Ham got, got one back. But it never it never felt as though West Ham were going to do us a favor on the day and we had to do it ourselves. And so, yeah, after um, after that, the, the, the goal goes in, I'm st- – I'm, my thoughts are immediately turned to the fact that, oh God, you know, we've got another at least half an hour to go. Um, particularly when, as I say, when, when, when Moore comes on and every single cheap free kick that we give away, you know, near the touchline or within a, an area where they can just lump it into the box. I mean, my heart's in my mouth. Um, but, you know, I mean, I mean, fair play. Uh, you know, they, they, they defended for their lives. Jordan Pickford makes that obviously that one stop to, um, to keep out Solanke, which was from a key for more headed down. Um, and then we do have that bizarre moment where Solanke kind of grabs hold of Pickford's leg. I don't, I don't know what he's, what he's thinking. Uh, and then Yeri Mina kind of goes in almost with his teeth on, on um, Solanke's <laughs> collarbone or something. I, I think he shows it. Solanke shows the ref at one point that maybe he's got teeth marks on his, I don't know. It was just very odd. I mean, Yeri Mina's a, a character that you say you could probably do an entire podcast now, and I'm really, really going to miss him. But yeah, those. Uh, and then obviously, when after that incident, Pickford then has his issue with his hand, where I think it, it, it's emerged that he dislocated a finger and decided to just tell him to pop it back in because he wasn't going to, there was no way he's going to come off. But I was sort of watching the clock, thinking this is all going to get added on at the end, um, and we're either going to dread it or need it. And obviously, the way that things were panning out, you know, we were we were going to dread it, uh, and it uh, it felt it felt like a lifetime. And I think it was on. Uh, obviously, it was on the the international feed. But I was watching the, the match of the day, uh, and they kind of it was right at the moment where they have that guy with his head in his hands, and his head, you can see his fingers are literally trembling on his head. That was me. I mean, I, I felt that I was just trembling. Like I think when I put in the chat, like a nervous chihuahua, it was you know, just as the minutes went by. And the commentary actually says when it, when they put the board up, it says the 10 minutes to go. It says, how are they going to cope? And I was like, yeah, exactly. How exactly am I going to cope with what will be the uh, the longest 10 minutes of, of my life? And then, as you say, Adam, when that final tackle goes in, it just again to win yet another throw and you just think, okay. We are practically here. We're home, home and dry now. And oh god, that that final whistle. I mean, the only other time this has happened was the Newcastle home game, which last season, which felt 
pivotal in that we needed the momentum and it was a time where it actually felt like we could stay up because we'd got such an important victory. The emotion that I felt that night and the, just the, um, you know, just the, the, the nervousness and and everything just poured out of me at the end and I just welled up and it just, it all it had to go somewhere and it all just came out the final whistle. And I just stood there, sat there rather with my hands on my face and just to kind of watch the pictures because they kept the pictures on for a long time after the final whistle. And it was just shots of the crowd and I'm picking out people I know. And I'm like, oh, look, there's Mark Mosey from, <laughs> from the Blue Room and all these, it was, it was great. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I just, uh, it's as I said, said on the last podcast, it's unfortunate that some of our, our most intense and, you know, and, and jubilant memories are, are for all the wrong reasons, but it does kind of bring it home to just how special this club is um, and how really they really need to make sure this doesn't happen again. Did, did anybody get to the point where you had to give yourself the pep talk of like, this might not happen today because I had it at half time where, you know, you look at the Leicester result and think, well, they're probably not going to drop that now. We don't look like scoring a goal, really. And I thought to myself, what am I going to do? What, what, how would my reaction be if we don't win this game? And I thought, okay, I'll walk around the village. That takes 20 minutes. To, this is this loop you can do. And I'll leave everybody else at home, including the dogs, and I'll just do one lap. And maybe in that time, I'll get some kind of perspective of, you know, life's a rich tapestry. Um, you know, you, you, you might see something different next year that you wouldn't have seen if we'd stay. And I kind of almost talked myself into this pseudo acceptance of what was going to happen. I don't know whether anybody else got to that point. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't allow myself to go there. I just felt as though... If we got to the last 10 minutes, just as at Wolves, that we would throw Michael Keane on and we would throw the kitchen sink at them and we would get something. I, I had to just kind of keep that, that, op- that optimistic mindset. Otherwise, I, would have, I, don't know, I wouldn't have been able to cope. Well, at at half time, we were aware Leicester were winning 1-0. And um, I've run into a few mates and um, I was saying, well, if we do that again, as we didn't, if we play that in, the, in mm-hmm. the second half like we did in the first half, Something will probably go in. You know what I mean? I think like, if we just do that same again, then the way we're playing, we'll probably win this. That's the way I felt. I was quite, at that time, I thought we're doing okay. You know what I mean? But, you know, they only had that one chance, which is from all mistake. We were doing, you know, doing okay. I was more nervous when we were one up and then I heard that Leicester had gone two up. Because that, that to me tells me like, well, that game's probably beyond doubt now. I don't think Leicester are going to, you know, draw uh, from there. You know I mean? They're going to win that game. And you mentioned Kiefer Moore, and you, you talk about fine margins. I mean, we defended everything very, very well. But there was that one ball, which was, I don't even think it was too high for Kiefer Moore. I think he just missed time as one. Mm-hmm. I think cause that was that, that was that was perfect. That, that should have been buried into the net. You know what I mean? And that, and that would have been 1-1. And that probably would have been as bad again. I don't know what minute of the game that was, but it was pretty late. Um, that would have been a goal you know, if, he'd have, if he'd have connected with that, I'm pretty sure. So that's probably the only little bit we got lucky with. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But um, but yeah, then um, the last 30 minutes, it didn't go um, it didn't go it didn't go fast to me at all. Well, <laughs> it wasn't a blur. It was um, quite the uh, quite the opposite. I think once after that Jordan Pickford injury, it was um, that seemed to accelerate a bit from there. But then obviously the the, the, the horrible 10 minutes. But then euphoria at the end. And one moment. 
walking when we finally finally left and walking back to the station there was like um a, a father pushing his uh um, an elderly elderly lady in an everton shirt and they were both like jubilant like we won we won really sort of made up it was a really nice moment and then you pushed them up up the road just towards near kirkdale station and uh, it was like uh, her son it's probably about my age maybe uh like it was like oh what happened what, what, what did, did you get in because no i didn't get in i couldn't get a ticket couldn't get in she's in a wheelchair getting pushed on but we won we won and they just hugged each other it was just like such a such a beautiful moment and it just makes you just realize how okay i'm even getting a bit got a bit over the top but how massive everton are and how much it means to people all around the world you know what i mean and just uh just that moment there we just like if yeah, i didn't shed a tear in the ground but i was just like i did well up a little bit just seeing that just like i couldn't like characterize and picture it any better and personified it any better of what it means to people you know what i mean it was just one of them it just that snapshot right there and then you know what i mean it was just just a beautiful moment you know and um yeah just amazing and <laughs> we keep saying it can't let this happen again yeah i mean just just on that actually the um from the from the the perspective of the nbc coverage which i think you know some people um talk about you know the reach that that we could potentially have in the, in America and and sort of missed opportunities and that kind of thing. They 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 were pitch side and they were sitting behind the Bournemouth dugout. And Rebecca Lowe, in particular, made several references to just how different an experience it had been at Goodison Park, and they were sort of conveying the uh, you know the power of the place and the history of the place. And made you know reference more than one occasion to what the Premier League would have been losing if we'd gone down, and I thought I just it just made me think that if you are, you know, these potential investors, these MSP sports capital people watching this, I mean, that would make me even more keen to you know to 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 to, to sort of pour your money into something that's got such untapped potential and such latent. Uh, as I said, latent potential um, to be to be successful. Uh, it's funny that um, you know Robbie Musto and Robbie Earl are, are the, the, the were the two pundits along with um, Tim Howard. Who Tim Howard is interesting because he he I think I think I don't know whether he is still an international ambassador for Everton, but I mean if he if if, if he is, he's certainly sort of trying to overemphasize the fact, trying to sort of play as to be as neutral as possible because he was very reserved in his reaction. Whereas when the goal goes in, they showed a clip where Robin Musto actually gets out of his seat and puts his arms in the air as if he was, you know, cheering for us. And I think on some level, as like Robbie Earl being a player who, who sort of started his career at a time when we were a massive club that competing at the right end of it, I think that they, um, they know what we know. They know that Everton should be up there with some of those you know, big clubs that now we call the big six. Um, so that was interesting just um, in terms of the narrative and the story that is sort of put in front of an American audience and, you know, probably an international audience um, about this club and just, we're not just an ordinary club. You know, we are a huge club that um, that really, I think the as I put on Twitter, that just the, the, the power of the spirit of this club has kept it in the Premier League as long as it has. You know, this this was a fan base that just collectively said, no, it's not going to happen. And um, that just makes me incredibly proud, actually, to be an Evertonian. Absolutely. I, I, I was just going to say on, on that point, look at how well, in a very short space of time, Wrexham's owners have 
done that with their club, with mm-hmm. their ground yeah. and with the fan base. And they've tapped into what an American audience really craves from their own sport, that heritage, that unique atmosphere. We've got that in abundance. You, you could argue we've, we've yeah. probably got it more than any other club in the top flight. Um, we, we're certainly right up there. And I think I think you said it earlier, Paul, it, it's a shame that those moments have come when we're, we're fighting for survival as opposed to, you know, can you imagine, as you said, what it would be like if that was a title decided, what the atmosphere would be like for that. But it's it's something, you're right, Lyndon, we haven't utilised over the years. When, you, when you've got a massive uh, ex-Everton player in Tim Howard with the with the role and the prominence he's got in the States, quite obviously, and we've we've never managed to tap into it. It is a shame. And you hope that maybe with just over a season to go at Goodison, it, it's it's something that we can channel in a positive way because others, if, if a if a non-league side can do it, why, why the hell haven't we done it? Um, well, I, th- I think we know why, and that's probably another episode in itself. Um, it's it's <laughs> shocking, shocking um, board-level representation and uh, and just a complete lack of guile in a commercial sense. But who cares? We're staying up. <laughs> well, you're saying that, that nothing about it is ordinary, Um I think everything about Everton is extraordinary, really, and and that that that's in a sometimes in a bad way as well as a good way. That there, there, there isn't there's there's no real middle ground, is there, with with, with our dear club? I mean, it, it just pulls you in both directions so strongly, um, and it, it that's what uh, you know. That's what I've certainly felt this week. And when we were trying to sum up, do you remember we were trying to sum up on one of our recent pods, like? What is it that we're really scared of? What what is it that we can't quite tangibly put into words of if it if we went down, what what would the big problem be? And I think it is stories like Paul just told, and and, and someone asked me like someone you know someone who supports another team said, well come on they did that kind of cliched wouldn't be that bad to go down for a season would it refresh all that kind of stuff the usual rubbish you get, and and to me it's that kind of it's the pride that I have, but it's also it's the people whose lives it touches and the people who live their life by the club. And I know every football club will have people like that. But, it, you know, you just look at the just look at the photographs and the videos from yesterday and you think that, that is a club that means so much. And I thought Connor Cody actually summed it up quite well when he said it's a giant and it is a giant. Um, yeah. It's not behaving like one, but it it is a giant. <laughs> and and you know, I think that was what for me. I thought that can't be eroded in any way. That surely can't be eroded. You know, at the very least, we've got that. Um, and yeah, thank God. I mean, you know, actually, to, today I've you know I've had that kind of yesterday was shock and despair and all the rest of it all the emotions came out yesterday T- today's been a bit more like a bit more reflective and thinking and, and starting to read things on twitter and starting to listen to things back and starting to watch the goal from a different angle and can you see that part of the crowd leap up and when you start doing that you kind of it does hit home a bit but you know it was it felt a very personal thing yesterday in terms of how i was feeling and like um, how I reacted to everything that happened. Where today it's kind of bit, been a bit more bigger picture in terms of like 
wow, this um, this is a big thing. And, um, you know, hearing, hearing that story from Paul, I think just hits it in a nutshell that it, it means so much to so many. And um, yes, I mean, it needs to be preserved, doesn't it? And this is a this is the most immediate way of doing that in the short term. <laughs> uh, and now we need others to help. I just think that for 30 years, we've we've not been our true selves. You know, we, we are a giant football club and you look at, you know, the league titles when I was born. Everton had more league titles than Manchester United. We had the same number as Arsenal. Until about 10 years ago, we had the same number of titles as Chelsea, City and Tottenham combined. And I think what you say, Andy, about what is it we're scared of if we were to be relegated, it's our identity. Everton is top flight. Everton is Premier League. And just a little start here. To, to just show how ridiculous the record is. If Everton did go down this summer, Chelsea and Tottenham would have to play 30 seasons each without us getting promoted to match our record. 30 each, 30 years. Wow. Man City would have to play 23 seasons without us coming up to match our record. Man United, 20. Villa, 12. Everton have played more first division seasons than Leeds and Nottingham Forest combined. You know, th- this is how big we are. Admittedly, you know, we've not always been in, you know, for the title. But that's the level that we're at. And it's something that we should be really proud of. You know, th- there's a <laughs> there's a real quality to that, that we're always there. And I think that's why we have these last day dramas, because we just, we won't go down because it's, it's, not, wh- it's not who we are. Everything is is the top flight, and I think I, I joked about it on social media that I felt really harsh on Luton that if we were relegated, they wouldn't get their top flight experience because it's just it's just <laughs> Luton can't be excited about going to Villa, United, you know, City, Chelsea, but if there's no Everton, it 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 just wouldn't look right. Um, so for me, I think that's what it is, Andy. It's it's. What we're scared of is it's such a big part of our identity, and for that to coincide when we when we move stadium, when Goodison is another part of our identity, it's it sounds weird, but you're almost losing your football club because everything you know that it is isn't there anymore. Um, but I, I I agree as well that you know we we should be we should be so proud and we we should act as as big as we are. It's a giant giant football club and. You know, people my age and my generation, a lot of people will say that we're not a big club because we haven't won things like Chelsea or City. But, you know, two years before I was born, Chelsea were getting relegated against the second division. You know, it's all time frames, and I think people pay too much attention to the to the last six months even. You know, all of a sudden, Newcastle United are a giant again because because they've qualified for the Champions League. But, you know, they, they haven't won a... They haven't won a title since, you know, the fifties. It's you know, that what Everton should be so proud because it's 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 sad that it's only in the last thirty years that we've fallen behind. We we've we've set the records, we've we've led the way. You know, even in terms of the you know, the stadia, we we have shaped English football, Everton Football Club. And so I I'd love us to, you know again, this is for another bigger discussion, but I want Everton to start acting as it as it should be, which is a giant, giant football club. And, and I think it's it's worth saying if if any manager over the last decade or so has got that so far, 
it probably is Sean Dyche in that sentiment after the game. We, we've had other managers like Carlo Ancelotti, who are a big name, been there, done that, and see that we're a big club. And we've had plenty of other managers say, yeah, of course, it's a big club. But Sean Dyche's attitude to sort of say, nah, this isn't good enough, because he's, he's seen Everton as we think of it, as we feel it, as we've been brought into the fold, however it happens. Um I, I'm the same as you, Al. I've, I've grown up during this fallow period, but I've had my dad and my granddad and people drumming into me. This is this is the club. This is football. So we need we need that reflected in the management. We can't continue to sort of accept where we're at, and and we certainly I mentioned it before, but we we can't look back too fondly on yesterday because it's it's scary close to the edge and like you say, completely losing that sense of who we are, that we deserve to be at the top table. So if the manager can drum that into the players and the players feel it, then let's, let's, let's use this as the watershed moment to, to build on. Because as you say, moving stadium as well is, is going to take a little bit of that away. We need to carry some of that old Everton into the new and, and that is t- to be competing, to to mm-hmm. look at games against the likes of your Liverpools and your Manchester Uniteds, and think, well, now they're, they're privileged to play us because that's the that's the game they would look at every season and go, yeah, that's a big one. They're not excited about going to Southampton. That's no, no offense, Southampton getting relegated, but it's 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 not the same. It's not the same. It's 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 a big game, and it and it needs to continue to be so. And more than that, next season, let's make those games. Contests. Um, I, I don't know what that noise is in the background, but um, it but, was uh, cat. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I, I couldn't let, see my screen, so I, I, I didn't know if Paul. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't know if Paul was crying. <laughs> no, I left my tears with the elderly lady at the, uh, <laughs> the wheelchair yesterday. Okay, so I, I'll, I'll give you a virtual hug, but um, yeah, it's uh, we, we we do need to carry something forward into uh, into next season, and, and we need to put aside the 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 terror and the horror of this season and and ensure it never happens again well said well said all um just very quickly um because now that the uh, the dust is settling i wanted to get your uh, your fellas uh, thoughts on player of the season uh, i suspect that there's a front runner so if you want to uh, mention an outfield player as well if you wanted to um mm-hmm. but uh, who wants to kick that off paul yeah, Jordan Pickford, no doubt for me, player of the season. Uh, been tremendous for two seasons now, and without him, we probably we probably would be playing championship football. Um, been been outstanding. Uh, outfield, uh, James Tarkovsky, uh, great signing, free transfer, absolutely fantastic. Um, really good yesterday as well, all season. Played every minute. The only only player in the in the uh, sort of played every minute of every game in the Premier League in the whole in the whole league, which is some which is very commendable. So. Um, Good, reliable player, good leader, um, good player to have. So, uh, yeah, uh, he'd be my out- outfield one. But uh, Jordan Pickford, uh, hats off to him again this season. Uh, Ruben Benagri for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll never know, will we? Um, yeah, I, I think I think those two stand out. If, if I was going to pick another, um, th- there have been a few in the running who've, who've all kind of weighed in if, if the likes of Yerry Mina played. 30, 
35 games at that level. Um, he'd be in the running likewise if we'd seen more of James Garner and Abdullah Decore. Um, I guess as a as a redemption one, I, I'll probably go for um, Dwight McNeil just to be different because I think for a, a player who we expressed doubts about and who started pretty slowly under Lampard, he's made himself a real fixture in the side and, and I think his willingness and work rate really typifies how how different we are to where the season started and um and and staying in games and running until the last minute i think he really typified that but um but yeah it is it is very hard to look uh, away from both pickford in goal and then outfield james james tarkovsky would be a standout signing for a lot of sides um if we'd finish mid table say um really consistent performer so um yeah there have been some good performances in there i'm going to um I agree. I mean, I've got outfield player James Tarkovsky here. Um, I'm going to put an honourable mention in for Seamus Coleman because mm. um, we keep we keep thinking, and lots of people keep saying that um, we, we you know that he's gone. He's he, he, this this you know he hasn't got the legs. He can't do it anymore, um, and he keeps coming up with notable moments, notable performances. I mean. You know, uh, I'm sure we'll come on to moments of the season in a minute, but um, you know, he he is mine. Um, and his age to be that consistent this season, I, I think he's had a much better season this season than he probably has the previous two. Um, he's just he he's evergreen, and um, we missed him. And I think that kind of says all you need to say, really, that in in this kind of scenario, that you would miss an aging right back who we all said was dead and buried five, six years ago. Um, so hats off to Seamus Coleman. I hope that we see him again. Um, and, you know, if, if, uh, if, uh, if it's to be believed, then he might be offered another year and that would be fantastic. Um, let's hope we get some planning in behind him, but I just wanted to mention Seamus cause I thought he's, you know, uh, uh, and that goal against Leeds, if you want to make one that kept us up as well as all the others, you could easily put that into the hat as the the moment that kept us up. Yeah, good chat. Yeah, I, I think for me it's it's probably James Tarkovsky, just for the 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 level of consistency and you know it's it's a really long hard season, but I think you know he, he's not been perfect, but I think he's been a really consistent performer and. <laughs> I think given it, you know, somebody player of the season for that reason probably shows just how bad we've been. Hmm. But um, I think a special shout out for, for Dwight McNeil as well. I think after a difficult start, you know, I think he really, you know, showed his quality. And again, I think that he was a sort of victim of the, the fact that we didn't have that focal point. And I think he's, you know, a much better player with probably more goals and assists if that if that player is there. Um, but for me, it's Tarkovsky, and obviously, I'm a huge fan of James Garner. Um, and you know, credit to him to to come to a new club, have that injury for so long, and then just slot into the team seamlessly and make us a much better side. Um, so they're they're the three for me really that stood out. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd probably go with Jordan Pickford overall, um, and Dwight McNeil would have been for the outfield play. I think Dwight McNeil would have been uh, would have been very close. I think starting with that. That goal that he scored at Southampton it was really the moment that we realised what he could potentially offer in the final third, and he's obviously been really important 
uh, under under Sean Deitch. Um, but I think I'd, I'd have to go with James Tarkovsky as well. I mean, one thing in in uh, in Lampard's favor is that he and uh, Kevin Thelwell did sort of highlight the fact that we needed a reliable central defensive um, unit back there, one who was you could bank on being fit. I mean, t- for him to then play every single minute, I think it was the only out- yeah, I think as you mentioned, Paul is the only outfield player in the Premier League to have played every single minute this season. I mean, it's a tremendous achievement. And I was looking at um, some of the stats that the sportsman put on, on Twitter today. The um, the most blocked shots in the Premier League this season, Tarkovsky 78. The second person was um, Kilman of Wolves had 42. <laughs> and it's amazing. I mean, he's far and away, the, you know, almost double the amount of, of blocked shots. Uh, now, obviously, <laughs> he's had to because <laughs> at some times this season we've been pretty dire. But um, I think... When you add in his leadership qualities, uh, the fact that you know anytime there's a ruckus on the field, Tarkovsky is the first one in there. I think he is definitely the kind of uh, you know captain who's not a captain kind of material that you want on the team. Uh, and he's you know he's been quite the warrior and obviously weighed in with uh, his fair share of uh, crucial um, interventions in the final third. So he would be my choice uh, of, of outfield players. Um, that wasn't the uh, our weekly question. The weekly question. This time is, and I alluded to a few a few minutes ago, Andy. Uh, what is your favourite moment of the season? The end of it, I guess, <laughs> uh, is the obvious answer. Um, yeah. One 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 moment that I did um, pick out of the kind of rubble of yesterday um, was Neil Mopay's goal against West Ham. Um, Neil Mopay has been a pretty unmitigated disaster as a signing. Um and and I do feel for him with his crushed confidence, but that goal's crucial. That goal weirdly keeps us up. And it felt like a bit of a more optimistic time. Um so I'm I I wouldn't pick that out as my obvious highlight. I think that would probably be maybe the one nil win against Arsenal, um or if not that fifth goal against Brighton, but felt like maybe we're starting to turn a corner. But I, I do think that win against West Ham starts to look quite important now um, when the margins are that tight. So if I was, if, if Neil Mopay is listening right now, and I'm, I'm sure he's probably trying to keep a low profile on social media based on the comments he's been getting. Um, but I'd say, cheers, Neil, you kept us up big goal. So I'll, 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 I'll I'll pick that. I'll pick that moment from a, a simpler time back in was it September, I think, um, before everything went a little bit off the rails. I'm going to go with two. One is Seamus Coleman's goal against Leeds, which mm. I don't think you could, you know, when you think about a moment of a season, I don't think you could replicate that moment if we tried. I mean, you know, I don't think we can actually set it up to to, to replicate that. And what what an important goal that was, by the way. Um, we're all having a go now at saying which goals kept us up, aren't we? But the, <laughs> um, that that one it was amazing. Um, but in terms of my personal moment of the season, um, was Dwight McNeil's goal, which made it three 0 against Crystal Palace at Goodison, and I, um, again in, in, in better times. Um, and because that gave, I, I was at that game. And that gave me one of those dreamy, warm, glowy afternoons at Goodison when 
you know, the weather's nice. You've gone up with, the, you know, gone up to the hotel with the missus for the weekend and you're strolling back through Stanley Park and you think, oh, why would I want to be anywhere else in the world? It was with one of those afternoons. We won 3 nil. We've been the better team. And that moment to me was just perfection. Um, and as I've said before, looking at the titles of our podcast since that date, it's gone gradually downhill. So <laughs> I'll, I'll take that moment. <laughs> Very nice. Um, yeah, I guess at the moment this season probably applied the Corey's uh, goal yesterday, I guess. But the uh, the one um, for me, I mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago, was uh, Dwight McNeil's goal. I think the one to make it 5-1 against uh, Brighton. Not because obviously that was the most important goal we scored because we'd won that game, but uh, just that redemption for Dwight McNeil, um, where he was able to salute the crowd and like, yeah, when they were flicking V's at him and stuff like that. And because uh, I mentioned, yeah, I, remember, I just remember how absolutely broken he looked when he got substituted against uh, against Brighton when we got hammered 4 1 at our place. He looked like such a broken man. And to see him zipping around, scoring goals, making assists being an integral part of the team and being able to <laughs> thanks guys yeah you know I mean after scoring that goal was um just beautiful I thought like so that's uh that's the one for me and just just more the redemption story of Dwight McNeil symbolized by that goal in that moment was probably the one for me yeah I, I love the the Brighton away game obviously I think it's one of the best performances I've ever seen from an Everton side but my, my standout moment was probably the uh, equalizer against Tottenham just for the, the the scenes in the Gladys Street. I ended up on the road behind, on the floor. And and the guy next to me, his dad's glasses flew off and it was just <laughs> it was just pandemonium. What going to the match is all about. And you know, we haven't had enough of those moments really. So that that was the the real standout for me. Just the the adulation of just just seeing that goal flying and it hitting the net and knowing that we'd salvaged something from the game. Amazing. Yeah, I think when we look back on it, obviously in years to come, the Decore's goal yesterday will be uh, the one that stands out the most. Not least because of how important it was, but what a fantastic hit it was. Um, but there's there, I mean, as you guys mentioned, there there's quite a few that you can look back on. Obviously, the one nil win, win versus Arsenal, uh, that that Brighton game, which is still perhaps one of the most most um, surprising results and performances that I've that I've ever seen but I mean maybe with a with a touch of recency bias and really just the importance of them the, the two that came to mind for me were Mina's equalizer at Wolves um, given just how important it turned out to be the time of it and I think also as this kind of signing off for a for a hugely popular player who unfortunately never had the impact at Everton that either he or we would have liked. And then for, for me, really just looking back, the Pickford save against Leicester might be one of the most pivotal uh, pivotal moments of the season where he saves a penalty to prevent James Madison putting them 3-1 up. We go on to draw 2-2 and that ends up being you know, the difference between the two sides potentially. Uh, going different ways on the final day of the season, so uh, but um, you know every season is obviously packed with uh, with moments, and we've had some 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 lows, but again quite a few highs to look back on, um, and uh, some moments that will go down in in Everton folklore. So, can I also just thank Paul Trail because um, <laughs> um, because you of you. Can. 
absolutely <laughs> called the running to perfection. You said on chat, and we've got evidence of it, it's been tweeted, <laughs> that you, we would, uh, what did you say? We would, uh, an unexpected <laughs> result at Brighton. Then we would uh, lose against Man City, draw at Wolves, and beat Bournemouth on the last day. So you've absolutely called that to perfection. And you've been a positive light. You've actually showed me that I can believe in Everton, even though at times it's very, very difficult to. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, taking all the vibes from the big, big Yerry himself. He's a big positive guy, isn't he? So I'll try and uh, I'll try and keep that flame alive, shall I? Like, yeah, yeah. I remember, you know what? Going to the game yesterday, I was like, well, I saw like walking past, and maybe I'm just, just, just a big, big sado who likes to be overly positive. I don't know, but like. Um, so I remember looking dead glum as they as I walked past, like, like really nervous. I was, I, part of them, I was like, come on, it'll be all right. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. Like, so people must walk a bit like, what are you doing? <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, but uh, I'll try my yeah. best. <laughs> uh, L Trail. <laughs> Very nice. Well, that's it for the final Toffee Web podcast of the 2022-23 season. We will, of course, be doing regular episodes throughout the summer, dealing with a number of topics to do with the club, not least the ongoing possibility of new investment, the prospect of change in the boardroom, fingers crossed, and the futures of a number of players and perhaps the manager, although unlikely, I would think, and the transfer window, which officially opens in a couple of weeks. So until next time, my thanks to Paul, Adam, Al, and Andy for their company over this season. And uh, let's look forward to the luxury of a few weeks away from the stress of Everton. Thanks so much to you for listening, for making this podcast part of your weekly routine. And up those Premier League toffees. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.